Welcome to On The Verge. This podcast will highlight interviews from entrepreneurs, musicians, and professional golfers. It will center around what tools they have used to help them reach their dreams, how they use golf to further their career, whether it be for escape from the rigors of their profession or to build more business, and how the communitas of wine, music, and golf enrich their lives. This is all about the enjoyment of life, rising above the struggles, and stretching past the best to be better every day. On the Verge. On the Verge is presented by Callaway Golf. Big Bertha. It's an iconic name. Some of the longest and straightest clubs in all of golf. You know that any club that gets to call itself Big Bertha is going to push the boundaries of innovation to give you unbelievable distance. Well, now distance is going to come a whole heck of a lot easier because the new Big Bertha irons are Callaway's easiest to launch distance irons ever. There's some crazy science behind these irons. They're powered by a suspended energy core, a totally new construction never before seen in golf. This revolutionary core design delivers easy launch, long, consistent distance with incredible sound and feel. It's unlike any iron they've ever created. We're talking serious innovation. But hey, I'm no scientist or engineer. The folks at Callaway did all the hard stuff. I just know it's easy when I see it and feel it. And you will too. With Big Bertha Irons, you're going to launch the ball higher and farther and easier than ever. Welcome to On Get the Big Verge. Time Distance Today's Now. Episode. Experience Big Bertha Irons today at your local golf shop JR or at CallawayGolf.com. How are you doing today, buddy? Doing pretty well. Well, we're, I'm, I'm very excited to have you on. Um, this is a, uh, a fun podcast full of stories about what it takes to be successful and great. And then we shift it to the communitas of uh, music, uh, wine and food, and golf and the great golf courses that we've played in the moments that bring people together. One of the things that I found fascinating about your story is the, uh, the hand family company um, started in 1949 and by your grandfather in a very humble and simple but a very effective manner. And in 2016, hand family companies was the 2016 national wholesaler of the year kind of a humbling uh, moment as 67 years go from the beginning to possibly the highest award that can be handed out in your in your business talk to me about what it is that you you that the, that your company started by your grandfather what are some of the foundations of the success of hand family companies yeah, I mean, I think it, it really does date back to, to my grandfather. Uh, he, uh, he drove a, a double cola truck um, in the 40s and decided he wanted to start his own business and, you know, kind of went out and, and searched for possible partners either on the soda side or the beer side and ended up stumbling into, uh, into Ertl's 92, which was a beer out of Louisville. And uh, he started our company in 1949. This is actually our, our 70th year uh, this year, so it's pretty amazing. But... Uh, it was really founded. I mean, we had three employees for a really long time. It was it was my grandfather, my grandmother did the books, and and one uh, one extra employee that was a non-family member named Soda Underwood that worked for us for hell, I think fifty something years. Um, but at at the end of the day, uh, it, it was really it was on it was on hard work, and then and then one of the great things I think about the beer industry in general, and our company certainly focuses on it, is interpersonal relationships, not only with all of our customers, you know, we have a, a weird world where we sell to people that sell to the end user uh, in the distribution business. So mm -hmm. it's a little bit different than a lot of other other worlds. Sure. Uh, but but with that, he always wanted to make sure that 
that every customer felt like a friend and and then every consumer really believed in our brands and that our brands were really bigger, you know, at least appeared bigger than what they really were. Sure. Uh, and then in 1956, fortunate enough to pick up Anheuser-Busch, uh, and then, you know, kind of the rest was history. But uh, my grandfather actually passed away in 1961. Uh, he died from ALS. So uh, oh. one of the very, you know, early cases really of understanding what that was, it wasn't very long after, you know, Lou Gehrig. Yeah. And, uh, and so, it, you know, it really kind of changed the scope of, of our family dynamic. Uh, it was well before me, but, you know, my father had to come home from school and at 20-ish, 21 years old, had to, you know, take over a business and, and kind of deal with the threats of people not wanting a 20-year-old kid running a franchisee, and he was able to do that. And so I think that really is what kind of charted our course to this uh, sheer determination to succeed and to always be better today than you were yesterday and, and continue to grow. And I think we took the principles from my grandfather of making friends being our business and really appreciating our customers and our consumers you know, throw in some sheer will and determination. And then I think, you know, it kind of really set our, our path to move forward. Yeah, it's interesting. I've, I tell the kids here uh, at Ensworth that it's, it's never been easier to stand out than it is today. And, and it's not a knock on where kids are today or the America's youth is today. It's just because there's so little inter, interpersonal skills being developed because they're they're face first in a phone and you touched on something that I think will ultimately become this generation's uh the people that move this generation will be the people that embrace the ability to communicate face to face and in in your industry it's so important the personal relationships are important in every and I think that that's maybe what's missing when I'm talking to these kids that they don't they don't grasp yet but it's the interpersonal relationships and how each particular one, you never know what that one communicates, that one friend, that one relationship that you have, what that can bring. Maybe seven years later, you don't even realize. Talk to us about the, the importance of eye contact and treating each customer as an individual, not like everybody's the same. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think that's a story just for life. I mean, it, it truly does with, with our, our newer, younger employees. I'm amazed just the dependence upon email and text messages and, and, and the amount of just fights that I see amongst, you know, individuals you see on a daily basis yeah. because they're texting and they lose inflection and they don't, you know, one person reads something away that wasn't necessarily written that way. And I, I think, honestly, to me, I love people. I mean, yeah. I, I truly, I, I enjoy getting to know people. I love getting to hear their story. Um, and and I, I honestly trace a lot of a lot of that back to, for me um, to two different things. One, my mom was in politics growing up, so I, I grew up, you know, around uh, around her and watching her really be gifted mm -hmm. at, at at that. And I actually learned to walk on the house capital floor uh, when she had an office there. She was the chief engrossing clerk of the house, and 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 at that point, you know, she hammered into me as well as my father on the business side of look people in the eye, shake their hands, always say please, always say thank you, and then truly engage them as human beings because you're, you're one, you're usually going to learn something. Mm -hmm. And two, you know, when, when people make a connection, you know, the world is a networking place. You know, typically um, most relationships can be mutually beneficial, and, you know, I can help you here, you can help me there. And I think it's, it's, a, it's a setting that, that can help drive for success. And I think it's, it, it scares me a little bit as you watch, you know, high mm -hmm. school kids, middle school kids, 
today because they are dependent upon technology. And I think technology is a wonderful thing, but it also it, it, it's bleeding a little bit of our soul and our and our networking ability away from folks. And it's one of the things I've just had my fourth kid this week, so it's it's one of those things that I truly kind of hammer in my children of look people in the eye, shake their hands, be confident, uh, and really appreciate you know who they are. But uh, and and the second piece for me. Uh, you know, being from Clarksville, Tennessee, you know, great, great town, yeah, but sure. smaller. Uh, when I got to Vanderbilt, you know, I, I think at Vanderbilt, the education is world class. But I think one of the things that you really gain from going to a university like that, and, you know, there's a litany of them, uh, education is always what you make of it, and, you know, how well sure. you want to study and all those things. But Vanderbilt teaches really well how to network, how to prepare yourself every day for success, you know, how to utilize relationships to, to help better yourself, better your friends. And, and I think when you put those two together, I think one of the main things that's now that I'm in the business world that's really helped me yeah. is that ability to network. You know, there's a lot of smart people in the world. There's a lot of talented people in the world. There's everybody works hard. Yeah. Uh, so you have to find that difference maker to, to make yourself great. And, I, and to me, uh, one of the biggest things of that is just really understanding people and being able to, to work with people and help people and, and have them believe in you, honestly. Yeah, I think that one of the more fascinating pieces to life is the fact that Everybody is desiring to be to live a better life. So when you can mutually connect with somebody, it's not that you're trying to selfishly gain from them or they're selfishly gaining from you. Is that as soon as you both realize that you can help elevate each other, then that's like a domino that hits two, and then two hit four, and then four hits seven, and it just the dominoes cascade outward because that is the place where I'm most concerned for where our country's going is that we're there's the networking of when the dominoes hit four to seven and seven hit 13, the numbers of people that can help each other and how things come back around. Like you don't, you never met this person, but because you met another person two years ago and they spoke so highly of you and they were looking to do X, Y, Z, they call you and it turns out to be a, a huge deal. And you never would have thought that a nine hole round of golf with somebody that you were randomly paired up with could be something so powerful for you, that guy, and the person that he introduced you to. And I, you just don't hear many stories about that anymore, but that's a, almost, I call that a fundamental of business life for sure. And uh, that is, that's interesting to hear because f for me, I, I, I didn't know as I was looking up your, in, your information that you were from Clarksville. And so I, I worked in Clarksville for a year uh, in between coming here at Answorth and where I was at West Haven. And I, I love Clarksville. And it's like a perfect match for that blue-collar military mindset of Clarksville to go to Vanderbilt and really take advantage, use that work ethic and uh, that style of life that you had growing up to not waste even one piece of the benefit of going to such a great school at Vanderbilt. Congratulations to you. That's awesome. Thanks. Okay. Yeah, and it, it's crazy, too. I mean, at, at Vandy, you know, I, I really didn't grow up a Vanderbilt fan or have a lot of intention of going there. It was just one of those things where, quite honestly, it ended up being the best school I got into. I played high school football, uh, was very close to doing the Ivy League thing and mm -hmm. playing somewhere up there and kind of came to the realization that, Sundays probably weren't in my future, so I needed to go just get an education. And uh, and so, you know, left the applications out and everywhere and got waitlisted at Duke, got into Vandy. And, you know, here I was in Nashville. I didn't know if I wanted to be that close to home, yeah. but wasn't against it. And sure. 
uh, it truly was the best decision I ever made in my life. And, and uh, ironically, another great Clarksville story, uh, my next door neighbor growing up was Mason Rudolph. Oh, wow. Um, so, uh, so literally the, uh, the old guy across the street, uh, when I would cut through to go to Clarksville Country Club, uh, he would have his golf cart sitting out there and, you know, hey, JR, you want to go play? So I, I had no idea really the, the level of human being or individual or, or talent of, of a golfer that kind of took me up and, and, and you know, was nice enough to, to load me around and, and kind of teach me, honestly, the game of golf. And, and I learned a lot of life stuff from Mason as well. So it's, it's really, it, you know, it's very, very fortunate to, to have him over there. So I still hit a bump and run seven iron that he taught me uh, <laughs> way back when. He told me to keep the ball on the ground, and it usually goes straight. So, yeah, so yes, sir. That's so, so funny. Yeah. Mason Rudolph, um, I had the opportunity to coach him some late in his life. And when he became the director of golf at Vanderbilt, we together were coaching probably the greatest player that ever come out of Vanderbilt, Brant Snedeker. And I remember – you know, in college, especially the first couple of years in college, it's this first wicked dose of freedom, fun, and you're never going to be in a place where there's 5,000 people just like you looking to make as many friends as you possibly can, and you're having so much fun. And I remember vividly, he, Brant had finished like 10th or better in 11 straight events, hadn't won yet. And Mason thought that he wasn't asserting himself appropriately for the talent that he had. And Brant was, I think he was, a, he was in a fraternity and he was having a great time. And he, he had a lesson with me. He goes, I got a meeting with, uh, with uh, Mason Rudolph at two. And uh, so I got to get going. And I don't know what's gonna, what, what he wants to talk about. And then I saw him a week later and there was a different Brant Snedeker. And he just had a way with words that I'm sure you know about that convinced Brandt that if you want to be a great golfer, you have it. But it's not just going to happen because you have it. You have to work at it. And that's when it all changed. So, like, that was, like, in, like, a fall semester. The next semester, he he didn't win, but he finished – almost in the top three every event and became like the number six player in the country. And then from there, he became the number one player in college golf and amateur and what have you, and obviously to where he is today. He had that that way to talk to you that he, he wasn't like being mean to you, but he was firm enough to let you know while he was hugging you that you can be better. And he was so like, when I gave him a lesson, his hips weren't working very good anymore and but he hit this beautiful little cut. But it's like I'd I'd tell him something about the golf swing, and then he'd hit a shot, and he'd tell me about a shot that he hit that felt like that, and then tell me a story about what it took to when he won in this event, or when he saw Billy Casper do something, or Arnold Palmer. He was a he, he, I miss that guy. He was such a great such a great uh, role model as a professional golfer and a, as a, and a professional for sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it, it's amazing just, uh, you know, the memories I have growing up across the street and, you know, him telling the stories. And I still actually have a couple of persimmon woods that he gave me <laughs> uh, when, I was a, when I was a kid. But, uh, you know, he, he, he kind of had that, that scruffy old grandpa approach to some degree where, you know, you, you knew you were kind of getting scolded, kind of getting taught at the same time and, and kind of getting yeah. pushed forward. But, you know, and, and I'm fortunate. I've had a lot of people 
you know, similar to that in, in my life. But, you know, I, I think, you know, as far as the game of golf, but also life, I mean, you know, like you said, and I, I said before, there's a lot of smart, talented people. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's that last little half percent of effort and work and everything else, sometimes luck, yeah. <laughs> that, you know, that pushes pushes people forward. And, and you know, there's these life moments that happen or, or present themselves. And, you know, you either have the opportunity to pick it up and run with it or, uh, you know, maybe, you know, fear kicks in or mm. doubt kicks in or whatever else. And, and you don't do it. And, you know, those those times in your life truly change your trajectory one way or another on, on what you become and, and where you go. And, yeah. and there's never really right or wrong decisions a lot of times, but they just they do work out differently. And yeah. you have to you know do your best to pick up the ball in the, in the right spots. Yeah, no doubt. Well, I've, I've been fortunate to have some great guests so far, but uh, your your history allows me to ask a question I'm I'm so fascinated by and I'm, I'm grateful to have it. And is one is the. Uh, I would like for you to talk about the gratification that you and your family share with the volunteering and the fundraising from Monroe Carroll Junior uh, Children's Hospital at Vanderbilt. The the ability to give back and help and the gratitude that that provides is a is a topic of greatness that oftentimes doesn't get as much publicity because it doesn't have to do with the the hoisting of a trophy or winning something, but it's a, a very honorable and and underappreciated talent of greatness. Talk to us about your affiliation and, and the things that you've done to help the Monroe Carroll Jr. Uh, Children's Hospital at Vanderbilt and the impact that it's had on you personally. Yeah, I mean, I, I think at the end of the day, you know, our, our family has always been very driven to, to give back to the communities that have helped you know, give us a great life. Uh, I think secondly, uh, you know, when I married my wife, who I also, I met at Vandy, uh, she has probably one of the biggest hearts that you would ever imagine <laughs> and, and would literally do, you know, she would do anything for anybody at any time, especially when it comes to fundraising and helping people out. Uh, and actually our, our connection, you know, obviously there's an innate connection to Vanderbilt from going to school there, but you're fortunate enough typically to not be in the hospital much or mm -hmm. until you have kids not really interact, you know, much with the children's hospital, uh, we, uh, right after the birth of our, of our oldest son, who's my second child, uh, had taken a meeting, uh, with the children's hospital as kind of our first foray into, into what was going on. Mm -hmm. And, uh, ironically, our son, uh, got an infection post-birth. And so we were, we were in children's hospital in, in, I guess the NICU and took the meeting in the, uh, in the cafeteria <laughs> as we were there with our child. And so when you go through that experience with a kid mm -hmm. and you really understand the great doctors and nurses there that, that take care of people and you, and you realize that even though it's a wonderful place, just like everything else, it can always be better. And typically what's going to make a hospital facility better. It's, it's, it's money. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, facilities, it's, you know, more access to care for people that can't afford it. And it's all those kinds of things. And, and so my wife and I made the commitment that we were going to do everything we could to help make that, not only the best hospital in the Southeast, but the best in the country. Mm -hmm. And um, we've been fortunate enough to, we live in Chicago part of the year, so we're exposed to, to Lurie as well and, and, yeah. and try to help them. And, and at the end of the day, you know, both hospitals do some things better than the other. And, and so what, we, what we've tried to do is help raise money and, and get the facilities. One of the big areas that, that was a need at, at Vanderbilt Children's and has been a big drive of ours has been uh, children's pediatric cancer. And uh, pediatric cancer is, is actually got a pretty good 
curability rate um, if it's caught early. Yeah. And Vanderbilt is one of the leading driving forces on the research and all those. And I, I, I can't remember off the top of my head the, the cure rate, but one of the things that just always sticks in, in my mind of any of those fundraisers and, and the, the uh, Dr. Balzer that runs uh, the Children's Hospital over there always says that if it's not 100%, we're failing. And, you know, even, I think they're up to 80-ish, you know, that they're, wow. they're saving, and that's amazing. But yeah. at the end of the day, you know, doctors, and especially when you're dealing with kids, yeah. until you cure every one of them, you know, you never lose that drive and that passion. And so because of that, that's been, you know, one of the few charities that we have really adopted and, and, and worked, you know, tirelessly to try to help continue to make that a better place. My wife's on the advisory board, and uh, she, she's constantly doing more and more to, to help helped them go and uh, actually uh, is chairing one of their, their newest campaigns uh, as they're trying to add more floors so they can do more specialty oh, nice. care with heart and cancer and all those kinds of things. And, and at the end of the day, like I say, doctors are wonderful, nurses are wonderful, they need funds, you know, they need buildings. And then at the end of the day, the, the biggest thing is, and I know it's a, it's a bigger conversation in this country every day, but just the access to health care for folks that don't have the money or the insurance to do so. And that's one of the great things that Vanderbilt Children's has continued to do is they, they do everything they can uh, because a kid's socioeconomic status doesn't really, shouldn't drive yeah. whether or not they can get good care. I agree 100%, yeah. no doubt. One of the, uh, the, the places that I like to go after we talk about business and what it takes to be successful is one of the gifts that, <clears throat> that you have in life is the, the ability to reconnect with people in a big setting. And there aren't many things that bring a lot of people together for the same cause like music and sport. When you think about some of the great events that you've been to, let's just think it's taken in the music world first and, and like a concert, you know, What's the greatest concert that you've ever been to that kind of was like a moving moment for you? You know, I, I, I'm fortunate. I always tell people in my job, you know, I, I always tell people because, you know, people see the beer world and they don't, they don't fully understand it. You know, yeah. it's, it's kind of like, is it all fun? Is it all work? And I always tell people it, it is the best job in the world where you get to kind of be a 22-year-old kid your entire life as well as you're wearing to, to work your butt off. That's right. And, uh, and so, you know, I love music. I love sports. Those two things, just for the affiliations with the brands that we represent, I'm fortunate enough to get to do a lot of them. I'm fortunate enough to be able to take a lot of my friends to those things. So we get, you know, those memories of, yeah. of lifetime memories with my family, with my with my friends, and and I love it. Um, you know, probably, quite honestly, I, I would say that my favorite experience so far uh, musically would be uh, in Chicago. We sponsor Lollapalooza. Uh, I think it was maybe two years ago. Paul McCartney played. Uh, and, oh, wow. and we're fortunate enough to kind of have a, a segregated area that we get to sit kind of away from the masses sure. and uh, sitting up elevated um, and seeing a field of, you know, I don't know, you know, 50,000, yeah. 60,000 people on Hey Jude uh, oh. and, and the na 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 na. I mean, it was just, it, it was like, it was one of those moments you wish that you could just sit there and kind of breathe it in forever because not only just the quality of the music and, you know, there's a, a beetle. Yeah. Uh, uh, who I was actually lucky enough to have a beer with one time in New Orleans, which ha. was a whole other crazy story. Uh, that was at a Super Bowl party. Oh, wow. uh, but uh, at the end of the day, you know, you're just looking there and you're just breathing in this energy and this positive vibe. And at that point, for the 50,000, 60,000 people that were there, there's not a care in the world. Yeah. And to me, that's always kind of the fun part about being at those kind of events is regardless of, you know, the gloom and doom going on on the TV or whatever sure. else, when you get to those type events and venues... Everybody's happy. They're having fun. 
uh, and it's you know it's just a wonderful place to be. But uh, I, that would probably be the one that at this point yeah. has kind of taken taken my breath away probably the most. But there's been a a, a ton of them. So. Yeah, that's so cool. Like because you're almost like you're watching history. No, absolutely. So, you know, it's yeah. like so it's unraveling. You probably you weren't quite sure you were ever going to see it, and you got great seats, and then he's killing it. And Chicago is such an awesome place in the summertime. Oh, it's it's oh, in the summer. It's the best city in the world. There, in there's the no world. doubt about it. Yeah, I mean, it's. I always tell people if uh, if it weren't for January, February, March, uh, Chicago would probably be bigger than New York. But uh, yes, but yeah, I mean, it, it it truly is amazing. And and I always think about that moment. Uh, obviously, Bohemian Rhapsody came out. Yeah. What six months ago? Mm -hmm. And uh, I I go back a lot of times. If I run, I'll watch the Live Aid performance. And seeing that sea of people, if I could ever get in a time machine and go back and watch. Yeah one performance that concert and, and anybody that's never seen it yeah i i just you know they should turn it on and just see i mean that 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 man had the ability to truly just manipulate a crowd better than anybody i've ever seen and i think that show in particular was just the epitome of energy and positivity and and you know the that the band had split and come back together you know and it, it was just yeah. It's really, truly a remarkable 22 minutes and, and whatever to, you know, to, to watch and, no and really understand. So he was, uh, he could, arguably he's on the, he's on the Mount Rushmore of voices and the talent of voice for rock music. Uh, he could, he could do anything. Yeah. I mean, he, he really did it effortlessly. So, yeah. and I think on the entertainment side, you know, top five for sure, yeah. you know, and you, total package. Yeah. Game. I mean, anytime you get in the top five, anything, you argue them all day long, yeah. but you know, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, it's just, you know, those are lifetime talents. They yeah. just don't come by often. And I think far too often on a lot of those type of things, one of my biggest regrets is I never saw Michael Jackson live. Yeah. You know, it, it's just one of those deals that, you know, you, you take some of those type things for granted and, and it's gone and you never do get to experience it because I think regardless of what the hell you're doing in life or, you know, if it's, you know, seeing Tiger Woods or, you know, watching Michael Jordan play basketball or whatever it may yeah. be. Uh, when you see that and you and you really breathe it in and understand it, I think it makes you want to aspire to to be better and to, to do more. So, yeah. yeah. I've always been fascinated by the, the musicians that I've had a chance to meet because I love music and I'm a rock and roll guy. And I've had the opportunity to be kind of like front row to when two of the bands that I love were as big as they that could ever be. I went at, so it was 1991, and I, I was I got a chance to be front row to the very first Guns N' Roses Metallica Faith No More show, and well, that was when Axel was coming out of prison for starting a riot in St. Louis, right? So he wasn't they weren't even sure that Guns N' Roses was going to play, and 70,000 people were at RFK in D.C., the old football stadium for the Redskins, and. When he did, when he did find out that he was going to make it, and he got on, it was a level of hysteria, like it just like it almost moved you forward. And then in, in 1995, Pearl Jam was as big as they were monstrous, and they were taking on Ticketmaster. So they played us the Soldier Field show in 1995 on the Grateful Dead stage after the last show that the Jerry Garcia ever played, and. Eddie Vedder has a different level of ability to, to move people. There's something about his aura that is so amazing. And once again, to be right there, and I, I loved Pearl Jam and Eddie Vedder, still do. But, I mean, at that particular moment, 
he was like speaking into my head all the time. Yeah. And it was just so amazing to watch the power. And I can't even imagine what it would be like to be Michael Jackson or Paul McCartney. I always wonder when you see those videos, like, you know, what does this look like from their eyes as they're looking yeah. out? And I mean, you know, regardless if you've done that a million times, coming out to a crowd like that, it, it there's no way it ever gets old. It there's just no way, you know, and <laughs> no. I, I think about like, you know, I mean, the giddiness of Tiger last year when he won in Atlanta. I, I mean, that's just a scene that I don't, I don't give a damn if you've done that a hundred times. Yeah. With all those people walking back. I mean, it was just, it was a spectacle to watch. Yeah. So, and you know, if you're actually living it, it it's, I, I, I just can't even imagine what that would be like. Yeah. It has so. to, it has to be like, I can't even imagine how high that is because it has to be so amazing. And I, I talked with Joe Don Rooney from Rascal Flats and uh for just a window of time and Rascal Flats were the biggest thing in the world and he said it took him took him a little bit of time to like get used to the fact that they used to just be able to show up at the venue and walk in and nobody'd recognize them to like now they're having to be shuffled into a suburban with security and they have to come in underneath the stadium to get in and out and listen to him tell the story and just see the like as he's like you can see it in his eyes that he's reliving it as he's talking about it. It's the dream, and then when it actually happens, it's that weird like, "Wow, I'm here, and I gotta stay here." Yeah, that, that's a pretty that's a pretty cool place. Who's your favorite band? Uh, you know, or musician. I, I I bounce around quite honestly. I I love. If you went through my iPhone right now, I literally have every genre of music that you could probably ever imagine uh, yeah. i'm a huge chris stapleton fan oh, uh, yes. i i just i i love his voice i love you know his ability with the guitar and just kind of how he takes you really on a journey with mm -hmm. with every one of his songs um i, I i've always loved the beatles uh, I, I love elvis like I, mm -hmm. I i like you know some of the older music I, i'm a big pearl jam fan uh, I, I mean literally it, it, when i work out or, or do anything i mean the 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 bounce that happens yeah. between the songs, you know, growing up in middle Tennessee, you're, you're easily exposed to country all the sure. time. But I think the thing that's underappreciated about this town that I think people are starting to realize now is it's just a music town. Yeah. Uh, it's driven by country because it's, you know, yeah. it's country music capital, but yeah. at the end of the day, people here just love music. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, people are now, you know, cutting hip hop records here and, and everything, but I mean, when when you go back, I mean, from the time I was a kid all the way through, mm -hmm. uh, I remember the first concert I ever went to, and uh, I quasi remember the last because I think I had a little bit too much fun. But uh, <laughs> at the end of the day, you know, I, I just I love the energy and music of uh, and, and just the feel of going to a concert and the excitement and the build up. I feel like is always great. And now I get to see it. Uh, I took my daughter to her first show. We went and saw Taylor Swift last summer, oh. and just seeing her light up. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, I mean, it's, it's generations and it never goes away yeah. and, and getting to do a lot of these music festivals too. You know, you just really, you, you see it in kids from 12 to, yeah. you know, people that are 80, sure. you know, just out there having a good time. And at that point, like, you know, nobody's you know caring what race you are or your age or, you know, they're just all there just to have a good time yeah. and, and really, and, and love the moment. And, and, uh, and for me in my world, it's a great time to enjoy beer too. No so doubt. yeah, it's a great thing. So it's an interesting little sidebar. You might be able to take it on your, on your ride out of here have you ever heard of the johnson brothers i haven't 
So that's Chris Stapleton's rock band. Okay, cool. I'll have to check them out. I, I, I listen to a lot of his Steel Driver stuff, but yeah, I've never heard of those. Yeah, so, so it's check them out. ACDC-ish. Oh, cool. Yeah. It's really, really good. I ended up uh, teaching the son of uh, the guy who produces his stuff, especially his early stuff. I'm not sure he's doing it right now, but he's, I think he is. But I thought he, so we're walking like the 10th hole in North Carolina. He goes, oh, you like rock and roll. I'm gonna I'm gonna send this to you, and he said the Johnson brother. Never heard of goes, You'll recognize the voice as soon yeah, as you hear it. Doesn't take very long. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> I'm like wow, so, that was amazing. Yeah. Golf is obviously a big uh, big part of your your life. What has golf brought to your life that no other sport could? Yeah, I you know I grew up on a golf course, uh, so for me, golf was always my escape. And courses did you know different day and time, but. Yeah. And like I said, I'd either go with Mason or I would just walk across the street. But, you know, six, seven, eight-year-old kid, just walk over the golf course and jump on and place three, four, five holes. And when it got dark, come home. Yeah. But for me, it's always kind of been, it's my escape. You know, I, I obviously work a lot. I yeah. work hard. I, uh, you know, I have a family at home. I love them. But it, I love getting out. That's my quiet time. You know, kind of cut the phone off. And it's an area where I, I've had a yo-yo of a, uh, you know, of a career in golf. I've mm-hmm. gotten down to a two-one. I've ballooned up to a twelve. Yeah. You know, so it, it's one of those deals. I think it's one of those sports. That it can be very rewarding. It can be very frustrating. So I think it's kind of a, it's very much kind of a microcosm of kind of life. And yeah. That you know, you kind of get back from it what you put into it. And but uh, you know, to be outside, to to see some of the spectacles and views that you get from from some of these great golf courses across the country and the world. Yeah. Uh it's just really irreplaceable and and I'm really fortunate. Uh, my my soon to be 5-year-old uh is loves the game. So yeah. I love taking him out there oh, yeah. and uh we get to spend some time together. Uh my daughter is she's actually got a great swing. She doesn't love it cuz it's a little boring for her, but yeah. she does like getting out and then uh and then my 3-year-old's starting to kind of get out there as well, but I mean to me it's Golf gives you that opportunity to kind of reconnect, uh, one, with just, you know, Mother Earth yeah. and being outside, and then, two, I think, you know, whoever you play with. Uh, for me, for business, it's it's always great. You know, you get to spend some quality time with customers, friends, yeah. whatever it may be, uh, and, and I always enjoy to walk. You know, I think you – one, I think it paces the game better, yeah. but two – you really get to interact with everybody in your group versus when you're in a cart, you kind of talk to your, your cart like mate, I, and that's, that's, right. that's it. But, uh, you know, there, there's nothing truly that, that – I enjoy more probably than playing golf. Uh, you know, I, I wish I was better. I yeah. think we all do. I wish we all got to practice. But, uh, you know, squeezing in a, a golf trip, throwing in with maybe some sort of sports experience is yeah. typically what we always kind of schedule our, our buddy trips sure. around. And uh, we've got one coming up here at the end of the month. So, you know, I, 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 uh, I can't think of – outside of going to some of the sporting events I get to do, there's nothing else I really enjoy more than getting out on a golf course, even, even if it's for – couple hours to play nine holes or yeah. take my son for a 30-minute lesson. I hit some balls while he's over there getting coached. It's just really a great thing. So. Uh, that's awesome. What's, your, what's the greatest golf experience that you've ever had? Uh, I, would, I would say it was um, – I've got a couple. Uh, you know, the first time I ever went to the Masters. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of like Disney World. You know, you never know if it's going to live up to the expectation. You get out there and you're like, damn, it really does live up to the expectation. <laughs> that's right. Uh, not a single blade of grass is out of place and – you know, I was fortunate enough to to get to go walk the clubhouse and see all those kinds of things, and I mean that that's just one of those deals. It just feels bigger, and, and you realize the 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 enormity of where you are. 
Uh, I think the, the first tournament that, that I ever went to with my father, I uh, went to the U.S. Open uh, at Pinehurst. Oh, wow. And uh, that was really, really – The one that Payne Stewart won? Uh, yeah. yeah. Like that that was really, really amazing. And yeah. just, you know, just being with your dad and, you know, kind of doing that that deal. Uh, you know, those those would probably be the two largest. You know, I'm fortunate enough now I've got older and we have some sponsorships. Yeah. I get to play in a lot of pro-ams. That, I remember the first time I ever played, uh, I was in the St. Jude down at uh, in Memphis – you know, drop the ball and putt. And I think I literally putted it like 10 feet off the green, you know, because you just, you know, you, and, and that tournament, that was not long, you know, before they uh, started really kind of trying to set it up to prep guys for the Open. Yeah. Which now, the you know, the it's kind of moved on the schedule. But, uh, you know, some of those events and just being between the ropes and getting to do some of that and then, you know, having some of the friends that are on tour and getting to root for them. Uh, my father and I are actually there as well on Saturday, the year that Brandt won the FedEx Cup, which that was really, really oh, cool wow. to see a – See a friend. We we had gone down uh, with the Vanderbilt football team for the Georgia game, and so that morning it was a night game. Uh, we we all loaded up. Uh, the team stays right outside Atlanta, so it wasn't that far. We all went down to East Lake and mm-hmm. uh, you know spent a little time with Brant as he was walking from the range over. And then uh, unfortunately, I'd, we flew home, so I wasn't there Sunday. But I remember watching that. That was just really cool. I I love when my friends succeed. Yeah. And uh, and so when you see somebody kind of hitting a pinnacle type moment like that. Uh, you know, it's just really, really cool, and it's it's just because you, you, you've seen some of the hard work and and yeah. those things that went into the the front side of it, and to so, see to see that culminate, it's it's really, really just a great feeling on yeah. side. So, you know, Brant's uh, Brant is starting to get the reputation that we we both knew bef- before it happened. You know, he's such a great guy and a giving guy. One of the things that my, maybe people don't recognize about Brant is when he has something bigger to play for than just Brant Snedeker, he's really dangerous. Mm-hmm. So the the day that Mason Rudolph passed away was the Saturday before the final round of the tournament at Hilton Head. Brant wins. And it was a huge moment for Brant. Massive. Because he was a major impetus to the greatness that Brant has become. But that that event that he won the FedEx Cup, his then coach, well, his now coach, Todd Anderson, they, they've gotten back together again. His son was in a very terrible car accident. And Brant went to the hospital to see him the Saturday after and before the, the final round on Sunday. And I, I just knew that there was no way that he was going to lose because he was playing for something bigger than Brant Snedeker. And he's had a great relationship with Todd's son. And that's, to me, that's what speaks so great about Brant is that Brant's got a gigantic heart. And, and I mean, the, he's the greatest putter I've ever seen. He's got the greatest mind that I've ever seen for golf because he's not Rory or Tiger fast, you know, and he's not, he, although he's a, he's a fairly big guy, he's not Dustin Johnson or Kepka. So he's not the fastest, he's not the biggest, but buddy, when that putter gets hot, it's really repulsive. Yeah, no, I mean it's <laughs> it's amazing how he can roll in putts. He I, can really roll the potato. Yeah, we, we were uh, we were actually playing around down in Mexico back in November, and uh, first hole of the day, uh, we were playing a, a shamble, so best drive and play yeah. in, and uh, we both did not hit the greatest balls of our lives. Uh, we got out of a trap, and best ball was hell was eighty foot putt. Uh, downhill, 
Green's rolling probably 13 and a half. I mean, it was it was insanity. Yeah. Uh, I think I was already out of the hole. I think I hit a just a terrible shot at, and so you know we we were trying to scrounge to get back in. We were actually playing with uh, with Jeff Ogilvy and uh, and Michael Phelps, uh, which is another person that's amazing to be around. But uh, and Brant hits like an 80 foot putt on the first hole, and I'll never forget. You could just tell with Ogilvy and, and who's one of the greatest people, by the way. I, I never met him before uh -huh. until then. And of course, in the you know the the Australian accent of Brant Snedeker, ladies and gentlemen. Like I mean, it was just like you know like oh, it was almost yeah. like he expected him to do it, you know. And yeah. so, uh, but uh, yeah, that 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 was a, a really fun day. But you know, when you when you see that, uh, you know, when you see it in music or you see it in, in other other lines of sports. I mean, I uh, you know watching. Uh, I, I was fortunate enough to be at when the Blackhawks won the cup back in I guess that was what fifteen. Yeah. Uh, watching that team and being in a lot of those games and, and that, that series with the Predators uh, where I think three of, three or four of the games went into multiple overtimes. Oh, yeah. I was actually at all four of those games. So I think I went to four hockey games and saw eight. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I mean, it's, it's just so amazing. True. Like, in, you know, anytime you have a championship, there's, there's always that moment and there's always that perseverance that always kind of pushes through. Uh, you know, being at the Cubs, yeah. uh, you know, favorite sports experience is, there is there's no question for me. Game one of the World Series in Chicago was absolutely the most electric thing. I can only that, you know, I guess it was game three, his first home game. Yeah, first home game. I mean, it was just it, just being in the stadium and seeing all the people that were there. And uh, and then I would put it right there when they won to go to the World Series. Um, it, like just seeing 80-year-olds crying yeah. and just what it means to people. And I, it's just you, – you, you realize that, you know, just what these elements of, of life that we use to escape and then, the, you know, the heart and soul that goes into that for yeah. people and, and just how excited they are when those moments come. And, and uh, I'll, I'll never forget that scene, you know, out in Wrigleyville and the partying. Oh, yeah. not, only, not only when they made the World Series, but then when they won it, which was on the road, but just seeing the the bedlam that was going yeah. on, and then and then fortunately enough, it was a company I'm affiliated with. But the Budweiser commercial where they kind of had Harry come back and calling it, and oh, that I mean, was it was amazing. it was so amazing. I mean, it brought tears to my eyes. Yeah. And I, you know, I didn't grow up an, an an ardent Cubs fan, and I've become a huge fan now, and yeah. very good friends with you know the management and ownership of the team. But at the end of the day, I I did grow up watching WGN because it was kind of you know growing up around Middle Tennessee. Yeah. You didn't really have baseball. It was Little Cardinals, little Braves, little Reds, but I would watch WGM when I get home from school. Yep. See Andre Dawson and some of those guys, yeah, and Sean uh, Dunstan, uh, and then yeah. at night you'd watch the Braves on TBS. That's right. And uh, and so I, I had an appreciation. I married a Chicago girl. Now I'm doing business up there, so I yeah. I feel like I was all in and bought in. And and then once I saw just the fan reaction, I'm like, this is just it's amazing. You know, yeah. it truly is amazing. And then seeing the relief on you know Theo's face and, oh, and the yeah. ownership and just you know knowing how hard those guys have worked that thing and they had to tear it down first and take all the criticisms and oh, yeah. everything else and then to see them you know reach the pinnacle and, and be able to maintain they won again but you know to yeah. stay near the top yeah three four five years in a row it's really a, a testament of of good leadership and management and making a plan and sticking to the plan yeah. you know not letting the outside stuff dump on you you know, you do what you do, and you do it really well. And, you know, I, I think you watch the best football teams in the world. Everybody knows what plays they're going to run. It's just all about execution That's at that exactly point. That's exactly right. So, yeah. I, I taught golf in Winnetka yeah. in 1995. Which course? 
Winneka Golf Club. Okay, yeah. My, my wife grew up on Sunset Ridge. <laughs> Is that yeah, right? So, I yeah, love so, Sunset Ridge. Yeah, That's so great. Yeah. Awesome golf course, too. And like I, I'm from I'm from Pennsylvania, so it was I'm a pirate and Oriole because I'm closer to the Orioles than I was Pittsburgh or Philadelphia because I'm right on the southern border. But you know, I never really got into the Cubs thing, so I could never really grasp like ever the the fascination and the love for a team that was really not ever any good. Yeah, you know they loved their Ryan Sandberg and yeah. you know, he's a great dude. But so I went to a good pro- golfer too. But oh yeah. yeah, he still owes me twenty bucks. But <laughs> Sando, you got that? Yeah. But it's it's interesting. Like that's when I I realized that it's a it's almost a fabric of the culture of Chicago is the Cubbies. Mm-hmm. And I fell in love with the Cubs while I was there. And it's like now, although I still like the Orioles and I still follow the Pirates some, the Cubbies are like my adopted team. And when they when you're right, when they when they won, of course obviously with Eddie Vedder being such a huge ardent Cub fan, um, that brought it to, but at the end of the day, that piece, that Harry Carey commercial you reminded me of, that was so amazing because I got a chance to listen to the last game that he ever did. It was so amazing. That was such a, that was awesome. No, I mean, it's, you know, I mean, there's few of those instances of those type people that are just bigger than life. And, and I mean, literally, I I mean, it was so many people's childhoods or interactions with their parents or was Harry Carey and, you know, the voice and, and everything else, and I, I've been fortunate enough uh, uh, to get to know his widow, Dutchie, pretty well, and oh, cool. she goes to a lot of games with us, and just hearing her tell some of the old stories, or, you know, I, I live pretty close to Gibson's down in Chicago when I'm there, mm-hmm. and, you know, that was, he was like the mayor of Rush Street down there, and <laughs> oh, I mean, no you doubt. just hear some of the old bartenders just talking about him, and you want to talk about a guy that networked and never met a stranger, and, and he understood, you know, if, if you were, you know, you know, not kind to somebody one time or blew him off. It could change your whole persona. And he just did such an amazing job of like yeah. everybody that ever met the guy. I thought, you know, they were, they were his best friend. So, yeah. and I, I think, you know, I'm amazed, uh, you know, I'm fortunate enough to be exposed to a lot of people in, in music sports. And it's, mm-hmm. I'm always amazed to see the different approach of dealing with fans, dealing with, you know, sitting at dinner and having people walk up and wanting mm-hmm. to take a picture. And, and at the end of the day, it takes one bad experience. And for that, uh, bacteria to start growing and you get a a reputation that may or not be accurate about yourself but at the end of the day it kind of goes back to the story about joe don and and i think he's he's great at it but you know you go from this weird transition of obscurity to fame and and how you interact with folks and and you you do lose part of it i I was fortunate enough to uh, get to be with george w bush a month or two ago Wow. And one of the amazing things he was talking about was when you become president, you know, your anonymity for your entire life is just gone. And, and you know, the, the judgment of you and decisions you make. And, you know, it's like you just have to, you know, really bring in, you know, he always jokes that he's, you know, not that smart and all that kind of stuff. I, you know, that's, you know, the, anybody you ever meet that starts kicking dirt, dirt and saying, oh, shucks, you need to watch out because they go <laughs> a lot more in the back of their head. But then he surrounded people with just, you know, just amazing folks. and. Yeah. At the end of the day, I mean that—that's what we've done well as a team. I think is—is is, you know I—I I feel very confident in my abilities, but I know I don't know everything. And yeah. so you bring in people that are smarter than you in the realms that you're weak, and you bring in people that compliment you, but also challenge you. And and I think that's you know any great leader really does that. And uh, you know I think it's it's pretty amazing. So yeah. Last question, uh, because I'm a big believer, wine is a big part of my life, and I know that beer is a big part of your life. And obviously, we're not, when, I, when I talk about what 
those two things bring to an environment that bring people together. Obviously, everything has to be controlled and done responsibly. That's a given. But it does have an amazing ability to bring people together for in a family atmosphere or a, a community of like-mindedness, so to speak. When, when you think of whether it be wine, spirits, beer, what have you, What's the greatest gift that those that that it brings to the table when it when you talk about bringing people together and to celebrate moments? Because to me, wine has tied together so many awesome moments for me, and it's like the wine was just one element that elevated the entire evening. But it, it's, it almost seemed like it was an essential part because prior to the wine being served, there's a little bit more tension in the air. Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, I, I think when you look at it, and, and, you know, for me, it's beer. Sure. But at the end of the day, I think it's any of these great moments. You know, it, it's funny. I think you can still close your eyes and smell the grass of some great moment or hear the sounds of, of certain things. And and I think it's the little accentuation points that make things great. And I think the wine, the beer, you know, whatever yeah. it may be, help, help add to that. I also think it helps tear down kind of the barrier. You know, there, there's this celebratory, you know, it's not necessarily the alcohol knocks the edge off. It's, it's more like here is our celebratory, you know, moment of cheers yeah. and, and, and brotherhood and coming together. And, you know, I, I always love those, you know, you see them all the time of who would you want to have a beer with? And, yeah. and you know, from, you know, the, the Obama beer summit to, you know, all these things. I, I just think when you look at over the, really the chartered history of, the United States and really the world, you know, there's a few things that have kind of always been there. Yeah. And uh, when you look at it, you know, I think beer and wine are, are, are two of the ones that are, that are there. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's, it's amazing, though. I think, I think everyone has this connection. And it's one of the things that I truly love about my job is, is you know, given the history of, of, of some of the brands we represent, and especially kind of going back in the 60s, 70s, 80s yeah. with Budweiser. I mean, Budweiser's was just always there. You know, it's like, it's like the old uncle that's always there that you have the great memories <laughs> of, and right. especially if you do love sports, if you love music, you know, if you just love getting together by the pool and having a good time, you know, I feel like that's an element that's always there, and it's something that you you never really forget. Yeah, you know, and I think I think everybody remembers that you know that that first beer they had with their their folks. Yep. You know, for people that are you know unfortunate enough to lose a parent, I think a lot of times they remember the, that last beer, that last talk yep. they had with their dad. You know, I think it's just it's one of those things that uh, you know I think it just ties everyone together, and it it, it truly, like I said, I, I love people, so I, that that's one of the things I love about my business is I get to have that celebratory moment of having a beer with somebody that I may know well, that I may not know at all. Uh, I'm usually getting to do it in a pretty awesome environment of either a golf course or a sporting event or a, or a music festival. Sure. And then, you know, we find out where we're alike and where we're different. And, you know, you start the hopefully, you know, budding of a, of a great relationship yeah. and, uh, and, a, and a good friendship and, you know, something that, that both of you can, can really benefit from. So. No pun intended on the budding. Right? Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah, so. Well, JR, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to uh, join me on The Verge. I no, appreciate absolutely. it. Absolutely. So thank you. No, no, my pleasure. Right. Thanks, sir. Callaway isn't just pushing the boundaries of driver technology. They're pushing ball speed further than humanly possible. 
The new Epic Flash driver with Flash Face technology features Callaway's first ever driver face engineered with artificial intelligence. By harnessing this power, Callaway was able to create, test, and refine over 15,000 different faces to find the absolute fastest one. The way speed is created has been completely transformed. Learn more at callawaygolf.com slash AI.